just can't stand it. He's, his heart is exposed, his selfishness is exposed, and he falls on his face before the Lord and says, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm a wretched man. And he really turns to the Lord, and Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so that begins a turning around. And we remember that Peter, again, the third time, goes back to fishing. But this time, his, his life, his heart is, is in submission to the Lord. I don't know if that's an accurate. That's my reading between the lines of these things that fit together. But I do think this it's not uncommon for people to uh, come to Jesus in interest and curiosity, but that their commitment to the Lord doesn't come until the Lord really gives them faith and opens their heart. And that's why it's not something we, Dory was praying about that earlier. It's not something that we can generate. We can the best thing we can do is pray because when we pray. We move the hand that moves the world. So that's, this is my experience. My experience that I have talked to people. I think that the first time coming is just kind of a curiosity. It's not real salvation. That real salvation comes when they really fall on their face before the Lord and surrender to him. And part of that surrender is repentance. And that's what I want to just look at. And first of all, uh, the argument that that Jesus and John the Baptist were the two that preached repentance, I want to just talk about that for a moment. Um, we know Matthew 3, 2, about the preaching of John the Baptist. John preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he did preach that. Repentance was in his message, and that's a strong statement. Um, Jesus as we know, and I'm, not, I'm skipping over all kinds of verses, but Jesus in Matthew 4, 17, also preached repentance. It says from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the argument could be made for some that that's pretty well limited. And as the church began to grow, it was mostly the preaching was about grace through faith and so on and so forth. But Peter happens to be another one that preached repentance. It says that Peter said to them, repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here, Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost contained repentance, and that preaching with repentance was linked to their being saved and forgiveness of sins. So it is a statement there that links repentance with salvation and the forgiveness of sins. That's important to see that. In Mark 6, um, Jesus, in sending the 12 disciples out to preach and to perform miracles, says that Jesus sent the 12 out to preach repentance. It says it this way in Mark 6, 12, they went out and they preached that men should repent. And so these disciples of Jesus were out, sent out by Jesus to, to go out and to confront and to teach and to preach and to teach those. And they went out to preach repentance. Acts uh, 8.22 is another case in which Peter talked about repentance. In this case, there were some converts under the preaching of Philip in Samaria. And so they heard about that. So Peter went up to check on these things. And they found this guy, Simon Magus, Simon the magician, who was accepted as a believer, who believed, was baptized. He was in the church. And... Uh, but he, when, when Peter came down and they, they were, they, uh, he saw the gift of the Holy Spirit being given. Um, he wanted that. And he offered Peter and them some money. If you could give me that ability to do whoever I want, uh, receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, 
Peter turned to, to uh, Simon and he said, among other things, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that to the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. What was that? Repent, repent, turn back. Not just be sorry, but actually turn back, turn from that and ask that the Lord will forgive you of that sin. Um, another passage uh, is Peter on, in Acts 11, 8, where he was, remember that um, there was this Gentile Cornelius in his house that uh, he had uh, some servants and others. He was a very good man, a very sound man, a good leader, a leader that uh, was in charge of his household and took it seriously, including their worship of God. And uh, while he was ministering, the, the Spirit of God appeared to Simon, I mean, to uh, Cornelius, and told, <clears throat> told him to send up for Peter to come down and Peter would preach to them. So that's what he did. Peter repeats, preached to the Gentiles, and among the things Peter said in Acts 11 18, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So repentance is part of that package that Peter conveyed to the Gentiles there. Paul's gospel um, in, in Acts 17, where Paul was up on the Areopagus, Mars Hill, and being on Mars Hill, they had, he was relating to some of the philosophers about the statues of various religious deities and he saw the, the, the altar there to the unknown god and so paul began to direct them away from this other nonsense to a god that they didn't know and uh what his message there in Acts 17 30 was therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance paul is describing how god has been dealing with the people since then Having overlooked their time of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men, to men that all people everywhere should repent. So that includes no matter that includes all people, no matter what nationality, no matter what uh, ethnic group, what language, they should repent because He has fixed a day. And that that's an interesting statement to read that because it means that God has set a certain time on His calendar. If you keep a calendar and you keep a, a schedule of your events, um, you, you put it down, it, unless you have made a mistake, you usually leave it there. Now you, now you and I make mistakes and we make changes as we have been doing with BBS and other things and stuff. But God is not subject to that. He doesn't have to come back with new information and go from plan A to plan B and stuff like that and be caught off guard and find some new things happening that's making him change his mind. He sets things, in fact, he's the, the text that tells us that our names have written down, been written down in the book of life before the foundation of the earth. That's literally ages before, plural, so that it is, it's impossible for us to know, except this we can know for sure, that he knew us intimately before we were created, and not just a couple of days before, but ages before. And he planned it, and he's had all these plans together, He's been weaving these plans together and he's bringing them to pass. And in that vein there, we know that God has been in charge and he doesn't have to change his plans. And so when he has a schedule uh, like that passage there that he's fixed today uh, in which he will judge the world, that day has been fixed and it's established and there's not any real 
need for him to change it because there's not any changes of plans that he's having. These things are all being lined out. He's fixed today that he will judge the world through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof of all men by raising him from the dead. That was preceded with the statement that God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. This is Paul talking to everybody. The, Jew, the philosophers there, there's men that pride themselves in their great knowledge and philosophies. Acts 20 is another one where Paul is stopping by the Ephesian church. He's brought the Ephesian elders. If you want to talk about a group of Gentile people at a Gentile church, this is about as good as you can get. Here you have the leaders in the church being brought by Paul. Paul is coming by to tell them he didn't think he's going to see them anymore. And he says, now, I did not shrink from declaring to you, any, this is Acts 20, 20, by the way, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly, but seriously testifying to both Jews and Gentiles of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there it is. Both of them are connected there in that picture of salvation. It isn't that repentance is something that happens years ahead of time. It's part of that package, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Another one, probably one of the strongest in my mind, uh, is Paul before Agrippa in Acts 20, 19 through 20. And uh, I'm certain, <laughs> being this close to the end of the book of Acts, if you were going to find an example of preaching that is equivalent to our church today, it would be this. It says, Paul is preaching to Agrippa, and he says, So, King Agrippa, verse 19 of Acts 26, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. What vision is that? That was his conversion on the Damascus Road. Did not prove disobedient. God had stopped him, Christ had stopped him, he had seen Christ's glory, but he had been confronted, he was blind. And now he has been commanded to go and to do some things for the Lord to serve him. He says, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. So these are this is this kind of destroys any argument that says that the church doesn't didn't preach repentance. They do. All of the the great leaders, the great teachers, the great preachers preach repentance. It's part of their gospel message. It's a clear part of their message, uh, and it should be a clear part of our message too. That we're telling people to stop going down the self-centered road and begin to submit to and follow their face before the Lord. But I can't do that, and you can't do that unless the Lord helps us do that. That's the power of the message. That's the power of the gospel. Um, Pete and I were talking at lunch, uh, and he was talking this morning. We were talking about this tension that exists when people suffer, and they have a, a heartache of something or a sickness of something, or they have a, a passion for something or someone, or they are tied in with uh, some kind of uh, trip they want to take or something they want to buy or something and they know it's not God's will and they really struggle with that and so they are passionate for this I think of illness because that's one of the things that we really have kind of don't have the ability to turn around but somebody that's really sick really suffering we talk about pets that are suffering we have pay for pray for our animals 
that are suffering others. And we have that desire that Lord would intervene to think of Debbie. That was a good one with the suffering that she went through and Larry, 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 both of them suffering in this thing and really suffering and really being anxious and really crying out to the Lord and asking to do something on the one hand. And we know that he is so capable. We know that with less than a micron of, of time, less than a second, he could change it completely. And yet in the middle of this, it seems like that he's not listening. It seems like that, that suffering continues. The darkness is there. The silence is there. And you pray and seek the Lord to act and nothing happens. And it, it makes this question um, God's goodness or his power, his ability. And people struggle with that. If God is good, why doesn't he intervene? If he doesn't intervene, does it mean he's not able to intervene? And so we struggle with that tension. And both of those things are true. God is good and he is powerful, but he's also in charge. His plan is being unf is unfolding according to his will and according to his way. And while at this point, we don't understand what he's doing, nor do we understand why. We don't usually understand how he's doing it. We frequently may go through a long period of time without seeing it. We know because we know what the scripture says, that he does what's good. He is in charge and he's working it out for his glory. And so, illustration, the, the man born blind in John 9, uh, became an illustration in his blindness of bringing honor and glory and exalting the name of God and being used as an instrument to teach the real lesson uh, about coming to knowledge about God and having your eyes open and not being blind to the facts but being able to really see for the first time. Um, if the man could see, I mean, sure, um, for the the years that I'm sure he went through his blindness, he was not, I'm sure he didn't have a strong, joyful heart about Jesus coming one day. I won't be saying, I'm sure he didn't know those things that he probably didn't even know the Lord. But after his eyes were open and he came to faith, it would be a thousand times worth it to go through that, to bring honor and glory to the Savior. And that's always true. We know that's true. And uh, so we can, we can trust him and we can put our faith in him and so we can trust that to say that god is not able is to deny the scripture he is able well what about repentance well the, one of the verses that came to mind when, in fact one of the ones that has got me started on this whole journey is matthew 3 8 where these these religious leaders heard about john the baptist and his success and his ministry out in the wilderness and they, because here's some kind of person intruding into their realm of expertise and their control that they had over the religious system, decided to send out some experts to hear John the Baptist. And when they heard about his baptism uh, and, and baptizing people because Messiah is coming, they said, well, let's, let's become part of this picture and see what we can find out. So they went out there to be baptized by John, but John said, no, you need to give me some evidence of your repentance. In other words, uh, bear fruit, which is in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? Well, that means that, repent that repentance has a product. It has a, a result. It has a fruit. It produces something in your life. And that product is change. That product is submission. <coughs> that product is, is turning your, not just turning your mind, 
but your life, your practice, your direction, turning around and going in the other direction. I think of uh, so, so many verses come to mind that I'm skipping over. Matthew 11 is one where Jesus is, is talking and says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. That repentance then is something more than simply the external or the internal changing of their mind, but it is an evidence uh, of their life, a change in direction that's a drastic, radical change. Same thing is true in Matthew 12, 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something is greater than Jonah is here today. So that repentance is, remember Nineveh, Nineveh, they, their repentance was very vocal. It's probably one of the most impressive responses to a preacher that has ever been recorded in time because Jonah went and crossed the city and preached and everybody repented, including the king who laid his robe aside and covered himself with ashes and fell on his face and they even made the animals repent that's a very that's a very graphic display and that display is called repentance and so the the repentance is a is an external reality but it is motivated by an internal change it's an external change that's motivated by a, a real internal change and it's really important and we do ourselves a great disservice if we strip the gospel from that um it's a synonym uh luke 16 30 says um you remember the rich man lazarus and when lazarus was uh, in the bosom of abraham uh, the rich man who interestingly this wealthy rich man is never named but the poor man in rags his name his, his, his name is lazarus and uh <clears throat> this rich man is asking uh, Abraham to send Lazarus down to cool his tongue. Things have been completely reversed. And by the way, this is not a commentary on God hates rich people and loves poor people. It's not that at all. This rich man, uh, he, the Lord loves him too, but he, in all of his wealth, completely ignored his Jewish brother who was sitting at his own table, I mean, his own doorstep, and completely ignored him. And uh, that's completely contrary to the heart of those that that God calls to be his children. And so uh, this rich man was now asking Lazarus to come and to cool his tongue and so on and so forth. And Abraham says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone, no, the, the rich man uh, says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to my brothers, that's what he's asking for his brothers, someone to go to his brothers and tell them. If someone goes to, my, to them from the dead, they will repent. That means that they will turn around. They will go the other direction. It will affect their lives. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses, if they and they don't listen to prophets, you knew what Moses and the prophets said. You ignored them. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they would not be persuaded even if someone comes back from the dead. If someone has come back from the dead and he's confronting us today, and that's Jesus, we need to listen to him. We need to take him seriously. And so repentance is part of the gospel. Luke 24, um, it, it says uh, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. Now, what does that mean? Repentance be proclaimed. 
That means it's part of the message. You you preach repentance, preach turning from sin, turning to God. Repentance uh, for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so this is this is the message. It's the repentance that leads to salvation. Second Corinthians um, says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, made sorrowful to the point of change. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Don't let that statement make you think that you that you repentance and after you've been sorrowful long enough then you become saved. It just means that when you're sorrowful, that is going to bring you to the point of trusting Christ and that you, you realize your, your conviction. And uh, this is a this is very important message that we're looking at, a very important thought. If you were to pursue that, one of the best places that I know to pursue it is the seven churches of Revelation, where in every one of them that had a problem, the thing that the Lord says is repent. And he he articulates that by saying, he who has ears to hear and eyes to see, let him hear or see or understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What was it that the nation of Israel struggled with? Uh, the nation of Israel in Isaiah 6, after Isaiah was confronted by the holy, holy, holy vision of Almighty God, and then he, the, the Lord, um, touched Isaiah's mouth with the tongues with the fire from the altar. It was the angel that came and did it, uh, that he told Isaiah to go and preach. And uh, one of the things that would result is that as you preach, they're going to close their eyes, they're going to close their ears, and they won't listen. And if they did listen, because if they did listen, I would have to repent and have to, to forgive them. So the judgment that is handed out to Israel is that very judgment. Their eyes have been closed, their ears have been stopped up they can't hear but revelation says that if you repent god the spirit of god opens your eyes and your ears to hear do it repent be be sorry not just sorrowful emotionally but sorrowful to the point of action god will hear god will turn and he will enable you to do it that's the thing i i have to stress that <clears throat> because none of us have the ability in our own i mean you know we can have a we can make, a, and all of us do, New Year's resolution. I've made a New Year's resolution many years to read my Bible through the year. This year, I've not, I started out, but I got sidetracked and I've not really been able to get back on line to do that. <clears throat> but uh, we can make resolutions. You understand? We can make uh, strong decisions, but only the, the power of the Lord can really change our hearts and give us a new direction, a direction that is apart from self-centered living to his honor and his glory. And that's one of the struggles that I have in my life. And I probably is the struggle you have too, because there are all kinds of things that you're confronted with. Things to look at, things to take of, uh, things to do, uh, people to hang around with or people you shouldn't hang around with, uh, things that you should do with your friends or your family or others, all kinds of things that you're confronted with that mark the difference between a heart that is in surrender to Christ as opposed to a life that is still living uh, for its own. Salvation does grant us a new life and give us a new heart. Part of that change is the repentance. 
So, and I, that's that's things that I'm working with, I'm dealing with the Lord in my life, have been for most of my life, but it's really important, really important. And it isn't an option, it's part of the gospel. So let me just close. Anybody have anything you want to say or add to that? Thank you, Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Amen. Amen. That's, that's the essence of biblical repentance. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, all the ways I think there is, but it plays out. A God, there's a God, the God, a uh, worldly sorrow, you know, and then there's godly repentance. Mm -hmm. And, and um, people can be sorry about sin, um, you know, it's usually because it's not working out the way they hoped. Mm -hmm. you know, a hammer has fallen, and you know they got caught, uh, or they got sick, uh, you know. It's, you're smoking COPD now, or whatever, whatever it is. Right? But it's not the same as what David's describing there in Psalm 51. And but that, but the verse, there's a couple, there's a lot of verses in between. But verse 10, I think, is the lead up to that. Created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. That kind of repentance from the heart comes only from God. And uh, so. You know, we can't generate that, but we can respond to it. We pray, like you said, we pray for people to have their eyes open to see. Without, without God creating that heart, it's just a worldly sorrow that leads to death. That's Psalm 51. In my studies, I have come to the conclusion that the passage that you quoted, where he says the, the heart, the broken, the, the, the thing that makes God happy is a broken, contrite spirit, he will not despise. I think that whole section is preceded, looking at the time frame of David first having this adulterous relationship and murder, is preceded with an extended period of time in which he went to the temple and offered sacrifices and did everything he could in the religious framework of that environment to gain forgiveness, but it never came. He had a broken spirit, his life was messed up, and it would not happen until he came to the end of himself, as you said, and cried out to God for mercy. The sacrifice of a broken spirit is what God wants. We will not Anybody else? B, you want to close some prayer? Then it leaves the sky. Father, we uh, thank you for repentance um, that you grant. Uh, says in Second Timothy two talks about that that you grant repentance, and, and it is something that that only you can do. It's the heart change that um, comes only from you and is. Um, an act of your grace and mercy to us. And we were talking uh, earlier before the BBS meeting about the testimony of Marsha Bailey and um, how she had, uh, for years and years, even 
given the gospel to uh, many people, and yet herself uh, had really partaken over in, in that. And it just, without you opening the eyes like that, and, and we just go on our way, we mm -hmm. think we're okay. And so I know in my own case, I thank you for uh, the time that you took to bring me aside in, in high school and really confront that um, attitude. I thought it was okay. I thought things were, were fine. And then, uh, scriptures like the one there in Psalm 51 really began to speak in a fresh way about real and genuine, authentic repentance and, and worship that comes from, from it is part of worship especially uh, as sinners and, and as those who are prone to walk in unrighteousness that we we need as part of our, our worship to come to you with those sacrifices and the heart that is uh, genuinely broken to receive you um, not just because we've been caught or, or because the consequences have come but because we've offended you and because we, we know that on the one hand we we stand condemned under your holy and righteous standard of perfection and yet at the other on the other hand too we grieve on the heart of our father who has spared no expense to reconcile us to himself and share his glory with us and and, uh, and so lord it's it's um, Sometimes we get uh, just tired of, of this and look forward to the day when it will be completely behind us. But in the meantime, thank you for this message of repentance. And we do pray for those, uh, <clears throat> as my wife prayed earlier too, that just don't know you. Lord, there's so many. Um, those that we're very close to and others that we, we know by acquaintance and we smile and wave at and whatever, but they... They need you. There's so many people around us that are lost. Uh, and some of them are in churches. Many of them are in churches. and think they're okay. I was talking to Natalie earlier about her her uh, husband and, and did, did the thing for a long time where it was dragged through that as a, as a boy in the Catholic Church. And there's so many people who are in these systems and that think that doing these things bring salvation to your presence. So we just pray for a renewal in our hearts and the hearts of our families and our communities here in this church, um, in this country. We so desperately need you. We pray this in Jesus' name.